morning, church. Christians have preached for a very long time that God is true, good, and beautiful. Okay, and they don't just mean that God is good on a spectrum of 1 to 10 and he's really, really good. They mean that God is perfect. And they also say that he's not just true in, in, in the sense that what he says to us is true, that he is the source of all truth. And, and when they say that Christians, uh, when Christians say that God is beautiful, they aren't saying, well, you know, sunsets are pretty, but, but God is really pretty. They mean that God is the most beautiful thing you could ever imagine. Nothing could compare to how beautiful God is. And because I don't want to just explain uh, why I think this is true, I think we should walk through this passage because I think it gives us a glimpse of God's beauty. Instead of explaining it, I want us to see it. So, so if you have a Bible with you, we'll actually be on page 900. These black Bibles are in the pew racks in front of you, and we'll be starting in Luke chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 28. This is page 900 in these black Bibles. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Okay, so Jesus did this very often. He would, he would go by himself uh, to pray, and he would pray for an extended period of time. But this time is unique because he takes three disciples with him. And it says, as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his countenance was altered, and his raiment became dazzling white. This is a, a different way of saying his face, his countenance was changed. His raiment, his clothes became dazzling white. And then this happened. Luke says in verse 30, Behold, look, see this, two men talked with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of the departure of Jesus, which Jesus was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Okay, if you're not a Christian, they, this may seem strange to you, um, but for, for Jews who are reading this passage, and, and just like the, the disciples actually were Jews, this moment would stun you if you were awake for it. This moment would be absolutely shocking because Moses is, was the leader of the Israelites centuries before who had received God's law, and, and Elijah was a prophet for Israel, but, but they were both long dead. They had been dead for centuries, and now, somehow, miraculously, they are visible. And Jesus' face is dazzling white light. And he's, he's chatting with them, and meanwhile, the disciples are out cold. They're oblivious. But fortunately, they don't stay asleep forever. Because in verse 32, if you look back in your Bibles, it says, Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they wakened, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. 
Okay, Luke says that Moses and Elijah and Jesus appear in glory. And glory is a kind of Christian word that we associate with God. And, and to you, it might mean uh, like something like fame, but it means so much more than fame in Scripture. It means radiance and majesty and light. When the Gospel writer Matthew tells this same exact story, what he says, he says, Jesus' face was shining like the sun. His clothes were as white as light. This is why this scene has so often been called the transfiguration. The Greek word for, th for that is metamorphosis. It's a change. Jesus is revealing something to them that they would not have seen before. This is his glory on display. And if you had woken up to see this scene, you would say ridiculous things, just like Peter. But Peter, being Peter, gives this a shot. <laughs> and in verse 33, it says, As the men, Moses and Elijah, were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is well that we are here. Sometimes people pretend like they're in the know, right? Peter is doing that right now. Master, it is well that, that we are here. This is such a good plan. I'm obviously in on this plan, and I love this plan. It is well that we are here. That's what Peter says. And he says, let us make three booths. Now, that, that's not the word we, we would typically think of. This is like a tent or a shelter. He is suggesting that they all just they camp out here for a while. Right, let's go camping with two dead guys and God in flesh. That's, that's Peter's big idea. And it says, as Peter says this, a cloud came and overshadowed all of them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. This is incredible. A voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen. To him. Now, it's ridiculous that Peter gives this idea or, or shares this idea uh, with the others, but you can see why. You can see why he would want this moment to last. I mean, have you ever had a moment as special as this? Maybe not as special as this, but have you ever had a moment where you thought you were encountering God? You want it to last. You know it, it, those kinds of moments don't last very long, and they don't happen very often. And so you, like Peter, like all of us, would want this to last. But, but it gets so much better than just Moses and Elijah. Then God shows up. And, and you know it's God because God actually says something very similar at Jesus' baptism. We, we preached on that a few weeks ago. Uh, and, and you remember that Jesus was, was baptized and, and a voice came from heaven and said, This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Do you remember that? Okay, we know that this voice is God's voice because he says just the exact same thing. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And this is incredible. Moses and Elijah are standing right next to Jesus, and God points to Jesus and says, listen to him. I mean, can you imagine for three Jews like Peter, John, and James, who grew up reading the Torah, who grew up hearing about Elijah's prophecies, they, their instinct would be, we have to listen to Moses and Elijah. 
we read the scriptures, we read the Old Testament, we need to trust them. And God points at Jesus and says, this is my son. This is my chosen one. Listen to him. He is the one who deserves your listening ears. And I love this passage because it's eerily similar to a story from the Old Testament with Moses. Okay, so some of you are probably familiar with this story, maybe a little bit unfamiliar. Uh, the Israelites, God's people, are freed from slavery. They wander in the desert, and eventually they reach a mountain called Mount Sinai, right? They go to this mountain, and Moses goes up the mountain. And he brings with him Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. These are three of his, of his, of his closest leaders. And this is what scripture says about when, when they go up the mountain. It says, the Lord took, or excuse me, then Moses took with him Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and they saw the God of Israel. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there, and I will give you the law. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the cloud. The appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire, and Moses entered the cloud. Do you see all of the similarities between what happened at Mount Sinai and what happens on the Mount of Transfiguration? Right? Moses and Jesus go up two different mountains. They both take three of their closest leaders— the old Moses enters the cloud on the seventh day, and Jesus goes up the mountain on the eighth day. A cloud descends on both mountains, and a voice speaks on both mountains. But this time, it's a little bit different. Because when Moses goes up the mountain, he sees the God of Israel. When Peter goes up the mountain, he sees the God of Israel in flesh. God's voice spoke to Moses in the Old Testament and gave him a law, but God's voice spoke to Peter and said, listen to Jesus. When Moses comes down the mountain, Scripture says that his face was shining just because he got close to God, but when Jesus is on the mountain, his face shines because he is God. Do you see those two stories? These aren't accidents. These aren't, these aren't coincidences. This is a part of God's plan to show us the glory of Jesus. And it actually shows us a little bit more than that. Right? Let's look back, look, look back at verse 34. We already read this, but we should read it again. It said, As Peter said this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Okay, this, this passage already shows the glory and majesty and radiance of Jesus, but it shows us more because we, we hear the voice of the Father, and we see God the Son, and then we see this cloud appear. And you might think this is kind of a minor detail. We, we should just kind of brush past this and move on. But throughout Scripture, that always, that it's so often, I mean, points to the Holy Spirit. Do you remember it says in Genesis, in the beginning, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
And that Hebrew word means breath, spirit, or wind. Right? That's why Jesus says the Holy Spirit blows where it wills. It's like the wind. Do you remember what guides the, the Israelites through the wilderness? A pillar of fire by, by night and a cloud by day. So this, this Mount of Transfiguration is not just pointing to Jesus. It is, but it's also saying on this mountain we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These three disciples are lucky. They have an incredible experience. They get to glimpse God. And there's this great theologian who, who comes up with a word uh, called the Trinity. Um, and he uses that to describe the fact that God is one and yet three. And, and this morning I am not going to explain uh, the Trinity. Every year Christians have this day where we celebrate. It's called Trinity Sunday. And preachers around the world get up to try to explain the Trinity, and they always pray to God beforehand to not preach heresy. Um, and God never answers that prayer. They always do. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not try to explain this, okay? I'm not going to try and explain it. I want us to just enjoy it. I want us to celebrate that God has revealed himself to us. There's this old church called the Eastern Orthodox Church, and they have multiple feasts throughout the year just to celebrate that God has revealed himself to us. The first, one of the first ones, celebrates the baptism of Jesus, and like we said, you, you hear the voice of the Father, you see the Son get baptized, you see the Spirit descend on Jesus, and then they also celebrate this, the, the transfiguration of Jesus, and I love it. They call the first one the Great Epiphany, and they call the transfiguration the little epiphany. I love it. They celebrate just this tiny glimpse, this momentary vision of who God really is. God did not have to show us this. We would, we would have no clue that God was like this, but he went over the top and revealed his beauty to us. And this is why I said at the beginning that we, we talk about God as if he's true good and beautiful because I, I think we sometimes miss out on the fact that God is the most beautiful thing you could ever imagine I mean what's what's incredible <laughs> is that we we know that there's a difference right between a, a true sermon and a beautiful sermon like I I could tell you a list of true things but when you listen to Martin Luther King preach you say amen because it's beautiful. And I could, I could accurately describe a painting to you. And you might be able to visualize. But it's much different than going to the Vatican and looking up at the ceiling and seeing Michelangelo's paintings. I mean, you could know intellectually that a mom loves her newborn. But have you ever seen a mom? after carrying her child for nine months, finally holds this child. That's beautiful. I mean, I could explain a joke to you and therefore ruin it, and you might get it, but what's beautiful is to laugh with your loved ones 
while you tell stories about the past. Ben could tell you the individual notes of a piece of music, but if you stand and listen to the chorus of Handel's Messiah, you will weep because it's beautiful. And God is so beautiful that when the disciples get this tiny glimpse, when they receive the tiny epiphany, what, do they, what does it say in verse 36? When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and the disciples kept silence. They told no one. I mean, this absolutely <laughs> shuts them up. God is so majestic that he is stunning to behold. When you see his light, you're shocked. You're in stupor. I mean, this is why we don't just agree with truths that God reveals or obey God's good commands. We worship him. We adore him. We lift up his name. We delight in who he is. We're stirred to our core. Uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins was an incredible Christian poet, and he describes this encounter with God in one of his more famous poems, and he says, he says these words. I just think he's incredible. He says about God, Be adored among men. God, three-numbered form, Ring thy rebel, dogged and din, Man's malice with wrecking and storm, Beyond saying sweet and past telling of tongue, Thou art lightning and love. I found you. You are winter and warm. Listen to that last line again. It's, he says, thou art lightning and love. God's beauty is, is so incredible that it's, it's wonderful and awe-inspiring, and it brings you full of fear and trembling all at the same time. It's overwhelming. It will steamroll you if you ever get a taste of what it's really like. And, and what's incredible is that the disciples didn't say, wait, 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 now before I worship you, can you explain to me how this three persons and one God works? I mean, can, can you articulate all of this? I need to understand it all before I worship you. No. <laughs> they encounter God and have no words. No words to describe who God really is. You don't have to understand the doctrine of the Trinity to worship our God. I love how theologian uh, Fred Sanders talks about this. He says, uh, sometimes we think you have to understand the Trinity for it to matter, but Christians can live by the Trinity and explain it poorly. We can be adopted by the Father through the Spirit of the Son and never say more than, I'm saved. Every Christian prayer that goes up finds its way to God the Father because of the mediation of the Son and the intercession of the Holy Spirit. I love it. The Trinity is not just relevant to you uh, throughout the week it, it, because it serves your purposes. It's who our God really is. It's not only relevant to those who understand it. And knowing that God is three in one is like knowing, sometimes we, we say, let me back up, sometimes we say that, that uh, uh, knowing this is kind of irrelevant. Uh, but I think that 
knowing that, the, that God is three in one is like knowing my dad is Ray East. Okay, my name is Mitch East. My dad's name is Ray East. If someone came along and said, that's not really your dad, that would be important to me. Right? It would be important to you if someone came along and said, the person you thought who is your dad is not your dad. Either Ray East is my dad or not. Just talking about it makes me nervous. Uh, I mean, you want to know who your father is. And in the same way, you would want to know who your heavenly father is. It's important because it's true. Because it's beautiful. And there's even more beauty, not just knowing who my dad is, but relishing our relationship as father and son. Um, at our, at Alice and I's rehearsal dinner, we had uh, people give speeches, and my dad was the last one, and he started off by saying, there's nothing greater as a dad to find out your son is employed. And then he said, truly though, there's nothing greater <laughs> there's nothing greater than watching each of your three sons grow beyond you. I'm not crying, you're crying. That's the difference between something that's true, that he is my father, and delighting in how he loves me, how he cares for me. It's important to know that God is this way. He is eternally Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it's beautiful to see him, to glimpse him. Uh, my brother Brad is a professor of theology, and he still assigns me readings. Um, I'm 26, I'm done with college, I'm married, and I still have uh, assignments from a professor. It's ridiculous. Um, and, and one time he assigned me a book, uh, to, uh, my, my other brother and I, about the Trinity. And I didn't understand one chapter of it. But by the end, it made me want to worship God because I thought, if this is even close to who God is, I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to see him. Uh, there's this incredible work of art uh, done by uh, a Christian named Andre Rublev. And this painting was done... Uh, uh, 500 years ago, and it's not a piece of music, so I don't know why that's showing up. Um, but it, it's an incredible work. Uh, it's, it's three figures sitting at a table, and it, and it represents the Trinity. And, and Ben and I were talking about it this week, and I've, I've seen this piece of art before. I've looked at it uh, a, a hundred times, and Ben still pointed out things that I had never seen before. And this is why art, something beautiful, helps us recognize God's beauty. It doesn't hurt us. And that's the same way theology is. Theology about God is not, is not some doctrine for theologians to fight about. It helps us in our wonder and awe of God. And one day, this is incredible, one of the disciples, John, he writes a letter to a church called 1 John, and he says that when Christ returns, we shall be like God, for we shall see God as he is. 
He believes that one day we will see God face to face. We won't see the Spirit in the form of a cloud. We won't merely hear the Father's voice. We will see God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as He is. The one true God. The perfect God. The most beautiful God there is. Let's pray. Father, we lift these words from St. Augustine, who once said, In the highest trinity, one is as much as the three together, nor are two anything more than one, and yet they are infinite in themselves. So both each are in each, and all in each, and each in all, and all in all, and all are one. May this prayer be an act of adoration of who you are. Amen.